The Web's Michael Smith. It is episode 85 of the Canes cast. And you know what? What's that? Playoff hockey is everything we told you it would be. Yes. Yes, indeed it is. It's fun. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I have enjoyed immensely watching these first three games of this first-round Stanley Cup playoff series between the Carolina Hurricanes and Washington Capitals. Every second. Every second. Yeah. I mean, outside of the ones where the Caps are doing really well, I've enjoyed a lot of this series. I really, truly have. And the Canes have been very good in it, too. Despite the fact at the time of the recording of this episode, 85, the Hurricanes are down 2-1 to in this best-of-seven first-round series. Can make the case the Canes... Could have won game one if the special teams were better. We're going to dive into all of the games, get you brought up to speed and everything else. And we have a ton of questions that we are going to get to from you, the loyal listeners of the Canes cast, that we greatly appreciate it. So now that we set it up, Michael, let's get the first thing out of the way, though. The elephant in the room about the injuries for the Carolina Hurricanes and the most notable, Andrei Svechnikov, who got into a fight with Alexander Ovechkin. And he was giving up 14 years and 40 pounds to the older and cagier Ovechkin. And we can go a little bit stronger. Uh, that's just one of the things we know about Alex Ovechkin and how he plays. There's a lot that's been talked about this and a lot that's been bandied about. Who's wrong? Who's right? How this comes into play? Uh, there's a lot of things about Alexander Ovechkin to admire as a hockey player. Uh, there are a lot of things to admire about his dedication to the sport, to his teammates. I'm not going to sit here and say he shouldn't have fought him if he wanted to fight and Andrei Svechnikov was willing to engage, then you fight. But there becomes a point in something like that, Michael, where you realize you got a guy beat, you don't have to keep coming after him. And it was the finish to the fight that I did not care for from Alex Ovechkin, the driving Andrei Svechnikov down to the ice and and trying for the the finishing finishing move. So to speak, in that. I mean, I I, I want to give Ovechkin the benefit of the doubt there, um, and just say, like, I, I I think if if he doesn't connect with that last punch, I think the two fall over anyway. Yeah. That seemed to be the way the momentum was carrying them. So when that punch did connect, and I don't know, it looked like Svechnikov was out on that uh, last yeah, punch on his feet, yeah. And from there, you know, the momentum just takes him down. I don't, I, I don't think Ovechkin was trying to, you know, drive him into the ice violently or anything. I mean, that's certainly the way it comes off. Um, I want to believe that 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 isn't the case, just because. Um, I mean, that would that would obviously reflect very poorly on one of the game's greatest players. Yep. Um, I. I a lot has been said about the fight, uh, and and we've had uh, a couple of days to to really digest it. Um, and yeah, I at the end of the day, it was two Russians who agreed to fight each other, and a fight happened. And yeah. and once the gloves come off, both guys are trying to win the fight. Yeah, Alex Ovechkin's trying to win the fight. Andrei Svechnikov is trying oh, to win I, the fight. I don't fight. blame like for people who are upset that. Alex Ovechkin was punching Andrei Svechnikov in the face. That's a hockey fight. I, and Svechnikov was punching Ovechkin yeah, in the face. I, he, I have, he landed a couple of shots, too. I have no issue with that, but there is 
something, and I'm not trying to hearken back to the days of the enforcer. I'm not doing that. But there's something to, if you're going to do it, and you know you got a guy beat, you just you end it from there. You, once Ovechkin landed those two solid shots, just bring him in. Just bring him in and let the linesman come in and, and clear it up. And he still won. He still got his message across, and it's going on. But what I have hated out of this, Michael, is these stories of how Andrei Svechnikov has been a dirty player all year long. Oh, he does stick work, and that's why guys hit him so hard. You got somebody up in, in D.C. one of saying that. And I'm like, D- have you watched this kid play? You know, have, have you seen the, the hits, the penalties that have been taken against him? And then, oh, by the way, the guy you're defending has been one of the dirtiest players in the league for years. The next time Alex Ovechkin finishes a guy on the boards without leaving his skates and targeting his head will be the first. I'm just, I'll go on record with that. Because I've seen him do it his whole career. I've seen him do it to a lot of players. He did it to Brock McGinn in in game number two. Yeah. Yet that got zero run, zero pub. What got out there? The Michael Furland hit where it shouldn't have been a match penalty. And then Dougie Hamilton for the elbow on uh, Andre Kuznetsov. Or Evgeny Kuznetsov, excuse yeah. me. And for that, my thought is... Does the Hamilton elbow, which was an elbow, and it hit Kuznetsov in the head. I'm not saying he did no wrong. He did. But did that get more run because it was Kuznetsov who got hit or Hamilton who threw it? And then does the Ovechkin thing get zero run on Brock McGinn because he hits Brock McGinn in the head with his shoulder launching off of his skates? Or it's Alex Ovechkin and he's a clean player in, in the eyes of many. And, and look, he's a fabulous hockey player, and I hate to, to do this because it sounds like sour grapes. And let's face it. When old men with, that have grapes around their name say things, it turns into problems. Turns sour. Exactly. <laughs> Get what I'm driving at. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, what's, that's what drove me crazy about the, the real fallout for the, the two days in between the hit and now we're getting ready for game number four. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad. Uh, well, hopefully we can just uh, move past it all, I think, is my one wish because uh, – by all accounts, Andrei Svechnikov is doing a lot better. Yep. Uh, he's uh, – Rod Brindamore's talked to him. Warren Fogel's talked to him. Drove him to the rink today. Um, everything seems to be okay. All seem all, all things considered. We, yeah. we have to say everything is okay. That's in relative terms. You know, based on what happened the other night, um, Andrei Svechnikov taken to the hospital, according to Rod Brindamore, Everything checked out there. Didn't need to remain there. He's in the concussion protocol now, so he has to go. Uh, he's got to go through the steps yep. and be medically cleared to return to play. It's not going to happen for for game four, obviously. And he's probably going to want to get in a practice before that happens. So game five might be a toss up as well. And you certainly don't want to rush him back no. because he has such a bright future ahead of him. Um, but all things considered, it, it's good to hear that things aren't as bad as they maybe initially seemed. Well, it looked like it was going to be very bad, Mike. Yeah, and so that's – I think that's, I guess, the one main takeaway. I thought uh, Rod Brindamore, when we talked uh, – when he talked to the media on Tuesday – lose track of days. Yeah. Uh, on Tuesday, had some interesting points about fighting in hockey. Yep. And it made a – it was going to be an interesting discussion. He ultimately – Cut it short and said, "All right, let's focus on the yeah, game." But it wasn't a place for it. Yeah, but I thought his uh, his stance on it was was I thought very evolved because here's a guy who has fought in his career, 
played for an organization that was really known for for being fighters and uh, of that style. That's the Philadelphia Flyers. Just in case. I'll name it. You yeah. just keep going. You're on a roll. I'll fill in the gaps. And so for him to to take the stance of, well, maybe fighting's not necessary in the game anymore is is an evolved point of view. And it's it's something that's worthy of discussion, I think. But I'd, it is only becoming a topic of interest now because there was a player hurt in this yeah. fight. The, the Ryan Reeves-Evander Kane fight from the other night got a bunch of positive publicity because it was neither of them got hurt it was one of those things where the two had been going back and forth for all game all series really all of their careers that had been building to that Ovechkin and Svechnikov right from game one yeah there there was chirping and chipping and and it finally got to the point where they both said okay let's just let's just do this it's and it just it 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 ended in the most unfortunate way possible and we would be saying that if the situation was reversed yes. too and th- and that's the one thing is but i'm glad we're at least having the discussion of okay what are the merits of fighting is it really necessary do you want to see a 19 year old kid have to suffer this type of injury when he's got such a bright future ahead of him i mean it's it, it's an interesting dic- discussion to be had yeah. and i think rod brindamore raised a number of uh valuable points it's a discussion i would love to have but let's have it at a later date. We could dedicate a whole podcast to it, yeah, really. And we've got the summer. Yeah. Which hopefully is a long ways away. Yeah, we'll tackle that down the road. But it, like And I maybe said, we'll bring in a, a, a point of view, maybe like a Jesse Bullish, well, sure. who was that That guy. kind of player, yeah. yeah. There's lots of players we can, we can talk to who did that. And I am, let me go back and reiterate, I am not mad at Alexander Ovechkin for the fight. I'm not mad at Alexander Ovechkin for the repercussions of the fight. Could he handle himself differently? That's all I'm saying. Is like if if you've been in enough of them, you know I got this guy beat, and if I don't want to hurt no. him, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I guess he would say he hasn't really bad. He yeah. hadn't fought. He's in what, only been yeah. Nine he's years? only been in a handful yeah. of fights too. But I'm just going down the road of when all of this dirty player stuff came out, folks. Just so you know, your team commits penalties. Your team. Slashes guys yeah. and spears guys. There are some that do it more than others, but everybody does it. And the team you're playing against is not the dirtiest team in the league, despite Correct. what you think. But that my my ran on Ovi about his hits. It's something that he's done for years, and he's a fabulous player. But it's like one of those things. Like I oh, will just ignore that because of everything else. And when these stories get to this point of oh well, he didn't do anything wrong. He hasn't done anything wrong. He did something. Ask Brock McGinn if he did something wrong. He'll tell you. So maybe after the series, because nobody talks about anything like that during the series. But that is over. And again, to highlight what we know today, heading into Game 4 on Thursday. So if you're listening on Wednesday, hi, we're not at Game 4 yet. Andre Svechnikov is in the concussion protocol. Michael Smith did a, a great job. That's why he's the webs and a treasure. And happy birthday as you turn 30 years old. About twenty one. Oh, oh, I don't I'm sorry. know what memo you I'm got. Sorry, I got the wrong memo. I got <laughs> mine. Mine's still waiting to be decoded. I just had my first beverage. Oh well, I hope it was tasty for you. <laughs> and always, as always, moderation, yes. my friend. But uh, to the twenty one year old, the Webs Michael Smith. <laughs> the point I'm driving at with all of this is Andrei Svechnikov is in the the protocol, like yep. you said, which he could be great today. But concussions are a weird thing. Yep. He might not be great tomorrow. 
Take your time with that. But it was a situation that could have been a lot worse. I think it has sparked a pretty good and hopefully healthy debate in the National Hockey League moving forward. Uh, it's probably going to be a signature moment of this playoff series, no matter how it plays out. Yeah. But now it's time to move forward. But before we do that, let's go backwards because we've got three games to talk about, starting with Game 1 in Washington, D.C., where the Canes' defensive effort 5-on-5 five five was letter tight. They only gave up 13 shots on goal 5-on-5. Five five. Problem was special teams to start the game. Not yeah. very special for Carolina. Yeah, and they actually started. They handled the first 10 minutes of the game very well. And I think there was some concern with, with Rod Brindamore and uh, about how the team might start in a hostile environment against the defending Stanley Cup champions. First playoff experience for a good half of the team. And they handled the first 10 minutes like they had been there before. And they just unfortunately were not able to capitalize no pun intended. And then the the Capitals None taken by got them. their power plays uh, and did what they do on their power plays. At least in game one, they haven't scored a power play goal since. Hurricanes have, have done a much better job on the penalty kill. But in that game, that was the difference. They established that 2 nothing lead. They do get that, that first goal in 5-on-5 five five play, yep. Nicholas Backstrom. Really the first shot that Peter Mrazek faced, I know he he officially faced one before that, but that was that was the first test uh, that he faced. Uh, that gave the the Capitals a one nothing lead, and of course the power plays helped stretch their lead. And by that point, they were content just to sit on that that yep. three nothing lead. Essentially, the Hurricanes made a push. Andrei Svechnikov yep. again, and that Two goes goals. back to to being. Uh, you know, one of the downsides of, of not having them, at least for another game or two, is that they lose a guy who's contributed in this series and, and seems to revel playing on that elevated stage. Uh, yeah, two goals for, for Svechnikov to get the Hurricanes back in it. They push not enough, and they, they fall uh, in game one. Yeah, and that's how that goes. Game two, the Caps, better five-on-five. Five. They push the pace a little bit more, and again – same story, but on a different day, the Caps jump out to the lead. And it's hard to chase a game in the playoffs because when a team gets a lead, they'll sit back a little bit. They'll sag a little bit. But the Carolina Hurricanes found themselves in a position after trailing again. They were just down a goal after not having a very good period. I think they'll tell you that. Mm. But they found a little bit more, a little bit more. And then in the second period, you get a tie game. That's all you can ask for going into the third and what else do you get? You get Sebastian Ajo scoring a goal yeah. that breaks out of his mini funk that he was in from the regular season carrying over. But what I liked about the Canes in that game is they tightened up the special teams. Right. It, it, they weren't going to get beat on uh, the penalty kill that night. And their power play came up with a huge goal. Jordan Stahl to tie it late to send it to overtime. Of course, heartbreak in overtime that we'll get into in a second. Yeah, they were plus one on the specialty teams battle. And yep. more often than not, if you win the special teams battle, you're going to win the game. It just happened that, yeah, the game gets pushed to overtime. And at that point, all bets are off. Yeah. Either team can can take the game on just a, a simple play. And that's, that's really what the Capitals did. They took advantage of the fact that Brett Pesci lost his stick and then had to use Tavo Teravainen's stick, which is the wrong hand. Yeah. They're, they're not the same. They don't shoot the same with the same hand. So he's using uh, basically the wrong stick. Evgeny Kuznetsov behind the net realizes that, 
Brooks Orkbeck slides in from the point. Tavo Teravainen can't do anything but just hope to slide and get in the way of the shot, and it beats Mrazek, and and that's that. That's that's and that's what uh, good teams do is they they realize these uh, advantages that they might yep. have, and then they they take advantage of those advantages. So uh, a tough bounce for the Hurricanes, but I do feel like they their opinion I think coming out of that game was they didn't have their best nope. and they felt lucky to be tied after two they were tied in the third period to force overtime so they weren't at their best but they were a play away from tying the series and stealing a game in Washington well, and, and that was for me the encouraging things coming out of DC Michael Canes didn't throw their best game and they had a shot to come away with a split heading back to Raleigh and mm-hmm. if they could get to their game if they could find their game Good things were going to happen for them. And look, same side, Washington hasn't played their best game yet either with yeah. three games in the books. And in fact, they probably played their worst game in game in three. Game three. Yeah. But in games one and two, and it was something that Rod Brindamore talked about in between game two and three, who kept showing up on the score sheet for the Capitals? Nick Backstrom, yeah. Alex Ovechkin, Tom Wilson. Like They're, they're top, top scorers, yeah. They're, their guys were getting on the score sheet. And yes, Sebastian Ajo scored, but you weren't getting enough out of the top players. Sebastian Ajo, I think, said it best after game two. Okay is not okay in the playoffs. Yeah. And he said, we're playing okay, but that's not that's not going to be enough here. And then Q, almost 10 years since we saw a playoff game in this building that we're recording from, the Webb's Michael Smith, you weren't even working. You no. were only 11 years old. Yes. Yep, that's correct. Just, the math so, checks out. So we're we're set. Uh, <laughs> we have all of these things in play. A crowd that was waiting for this moment, and they did not disappoint. Nope. And neither did the Carolina Hurricanes. We talked about the one blemish on that game from the Canes' point of view. We've already gone into the Andrei Svechnikov-Alexander Ovechkin fight. But if you are to put that in a bubble, what a perfect game from the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, I mean uh, – Probably their best game they've played all season. Oh, easy. Uh, they with the stakes, with everything that was there. Right. Uh, you know they were they were good against Montreal when they needed to be the the overtime win, but that was a thorough domination of a really good team that I think expected a little bit less out of the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Canes gave them more than they bargained for. The start reminded me of Game One, uh, sort of a flip flop in that the Capitals were coming into a hostile environment and handled that first 10 minutes well. And Peter Mrazek probably saw his most work of the night in that in that first 10 minutes yep. to keep the Capitals off the board from scoring first. That was a huge, huge key in the game because that allowed the Hurricanes to, uh, to push back, to settle into their game, to get that first goal for the first time in the series. And it's, it's amazing what scoring first has done in this series because it's just allowed either team, whether it's Washington in Washington or the Hurricanes here in Game 3, to settle in and play their game. And so when Fogle gets that that first goal, just a, I think the puck, just it, Justin Falk's shot just kind of hit Fogle in front of the net and, and bounces in. And then the Hurricanes are, are playing with the lead. They're not having to chase the game. And from there, they just added to it. Fogle again. Yep. Dougie Hamilton twice on the power play. And I think once it got to about 3 nothing in the second period off of Dougie Hamilton's uh, power play, his yep. first power play goal, I think at that point the Capitals were probably like, okay, you know, well, let's just look to game yep. four. We'll finish this one off. Look to game four. Still have the 2-1 lead in the series. 
and give credit to the Hurricanes for just continuing to uh, just really give it to the Capitals well, with 10 forwards yeah. nonetheless. I was going to say, considering Andrei Svechnikov is gone halfway through the first period, Michael Furland played, what, three minutes of the first period, yeah. and then he's gone for the game. And the Hurricanes kept coming after the Caps. And that's how they got to play. And that's how you have to go against the defending Stanley Cup champions. That's what you have to do. Because if we haven't learned anything from these playoffs already, folks, what are you watching? If you're the underdog, just keep going after them. Because you have it's not nothing to lose. But great teams hate playing in their end. Mm-hmm. They want to go and play and do all the fancy stuff down that- in, in your end of the, the rink. Not in theirs. And the best way to keep guys like Ovechkin and Backstrom and Kuznetsov off of the board is make them play in their own end. Yeah, all, all the Capitals could do in that second period was ice the puck, it seemed. They didn't get a shot until 4.45 left in the period, yep. and it was probably one of the easiest shots that, that Mrazic faced, just a little backhander yep. that went right into his logo. Uh and that's that's all he had to do in the second period yeah. because the Hurricanes were just rolling around in the Capitals end basically the whole 20 minutes. Yep. Uh, they had some power play time, obviously, Dougie Hamilton taking care of that. Uh, and then all the Capitals could do was just fire the puck out of the zone and, and live to play another faceoff. It was just really thorough domination from the Hurricanes. Uh, and what I'm interested to see is just how – how much of that game carries over to game four yeah. for, for either side, really, because the Capitals were very bad and yeah. the Hurricanes were very good. What does that mean for game four? I just think we're going to see two teams that are going to play a lot tighter. Uh, the, the game is going to be nowhere near, I don't think, what it was on Monday. Oh. I think the physicality will still be there, but I don't think you're going to see two vastly different teams. I think you're going to see two two teams that are, are going to be neck and neck uh, fighting for every inch. Well, I, I expect the Caps to come out and play their best five minutes that they've had in the series. I, right. That's what I'm expecting. And that's going to be important for the Hurricanes to be able to push back against them. I'm going to go in up the ante. Oh, you're going to do this? Allow me to retort. Right. <laughs> and I think that the Canes are going to come out with maybe their best start of this series so far. And I can't wait. It, Thursday night cannot get here fast enough. And hopefully if you're listening to this Thursday morning, you're excited about it and counting down the minutes. And Friday, I hope I'm right if you're listening to this the day after <laughs> yeah. uh, game number four. But there's so much more when we can talk about the you know, behind-the-scenes action for the Carolina Hurricanes. The one thing, Michael, that has struck me is for a team that has 11 players on the roster who've never played an NHL playoff game, they seem supremely relaxed for this moment. And that's a good thing. And sometimes they say, you know, what you don't know, you don't know. And that's not a bad thing. I think these guys knew what to expect. I think that they were excited about playoff hockey. But this group this year, there's something special about them. And things don't phase them the way that we've seen other Carolina Hurricanes teams get phased by, you know, a sidetrack here or an injury there. This team just comes every day to the rink they like hanging out with each other. They do their job. They pick each other up, and they love playing for their head coach. And I am going to be really curious to see where the chips are going to fall for game four because there's no pressure on them. They were down 2 nothing, And you'd figure, oh, they're going to be tight. Game three in this building, this crowd is going to be, you know, maybe they'll be too amped up. Oh, it was perfect. It was the script that you want to follow. Yes. And I think that we'll see that that script gets followed again on Thursday night because this team – 
pressure? What pressure? Yeah. They're, they're playing hockey. They're right. having fun, and they get it. And they've been great defensively. Two of the three games. You know, that game three, you can't be any better defensively than what they were no. in, in the second period. Actually, the entire game. And they were pretty darn good defensively in game one. The only goal that Peter Morozik would want back, I think, in the entire series to date uh, is the first shot that uh, the Backstrom, the first goal, the Backstrom goal. After that, all either great chances or power play goals. So you're flipping a coin on on those moves. So that's where we're at right now and can't wait to get on. You're, you're around this room a lot too. You and I, again, we're not every minute of the day, right. but when you're around them, are you a little shocked that they're this loose or this is what you expected? Uh, I don't think so because it's just it's been the, the, this atmosphere has been pretty much the same for the whole season. Even even in these these must win games, this must win atmosphere that the Hurricanes created for themselves with half of the season left to play, you still felt like the team was loose. And yes, after every loss you know it was it it stung because it was almost that you know we lose and we're out sort of mentality but this team stayed loose and it it helped them down the stretch it helped them win 32 of their last 42 games in order to get into the playoffs and they've just kind of kept that 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 mindset heading into into this series and it's and you kind of have to in a playoff series you you have to take it one game at a time you can't let one game bleed into the next you can't get two down or two up um, and and that's important for the Hurricanes to consider. They they didn't let losses in Game One and Game Two get them two down, and now they can't let that five nothing win in Game Three let them get two yeah. up. And and I don't get the sense that it has. So, uh, you know, we should be in for a a good finish to the series. I think it's still going to take at least six games to decide. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll we'll find out on Thursday if. Uh, if the Hurricanes can go ahead and, and push it to at least six games, yep. or if uh, or if they're headed to DC playing for their their lives, it'll uh, it'll set the stage for for what should be a, a good finish to what I think uh, a playoff matchup that's been long overdue. These two um, divisional foes that have never faced off in a playoff series that are separated by, what, a five-hour drive? Yep. Like, I think this could be the start of a, a, a true a real rival. real rivalry. Oh, because yeah. there's been, I guess, maybe like a little regional rivalry, but there's never been this bad blood between the two teams. Uh, and now. it's starting to build a little bit. <laughs> no, it's there. Yeah. Settle down, Taylor Swift. <laughs> It's right there. Uh, with that being said... If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Yes. As always, thank you, Will Farrell. Playoff edition as well. My question for you, does this series go seven games? I'm going to stick with my original uh, projection of six. I think, you, of I, think you stuck, I think you initially said seven. Yeah. Uh, I, could, I could certainly see it going seven. I'm going to stick with my original projection of six. I'm, I'm going to I'm but go I would, seven. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked to see that. I, I think we're going seven uh, because the way that the Canes play in this building, uh, of course this is recorded ahead of game four. Mm-hmm. I can't see the Caps answering that if, if that's how this building's going to be. So I'll give the Canes all three games here, and then when you get to a game seven, guess who'd like to? ensure that legacy, even though he says he doesn't like the name. And he doesn't. 
because he knows it's a team effort. Right. But I'm pretty sure Justin Williams would love to go into D.C. and knock off his former mates. As he said, you know, we're friends, but not for the next few weeks. Yeah. Not now. So that's That it. would be do you, something. Do you have one? No. Okay, good. Because we got a lot of questions. We've got a to. lot of questions. Fans have been sending in questions. Cause we, for we days. Did, for days. Because uh, we didn't get to it on Monday with the game uh, as originally planned. We were originally planned to record on Tuesday. Didn't get to that few scheduling yep. conflicts, but here we are on Wednesday. So we've got plenty of questions to get to, and we want to make uh, sure that we don't uh, miss any. All right, but let's knock out – poor choice of words on my <laughs> – let's uh, let's get to okay uh, questions that have been sent repeatedly about the status of Andrei Svechnikov. Mm-hmm. We've already addressed it, but we'll address it again for all of you who took the time to, to write in and use the hashtag Canescast. Again, he's in the concussion protocol. He's been around the team. He was around the team today. I saw him today. I don't know if you saw him, Michael, but... I did see him briefly. So he is here. So he's around the team. That's only a good sign. But as of now, highly unlikely he will play in, in Game 4. I, I don't want to say rule him out, but are we ruling him out for Game 4? Yeah, I think we Thank you. should have to, yeah. Uh, Michael Furland, as well, is quoting Rod Brindamore a ways away mm-hmm. from getting back on the ice with his upper body injury. Yep. Calvin DeHaan, on the other hand, now it's just a matter from what we've been told. He's close, but now it's kind of a a matter of does Calvin DeHaan feel that he can get on the ice and play? And he's been practicing, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see Calvin DeHaan at some point in this series. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be for Game 4, but perhaps Game 5, Game 6, yep. we'll see. All right, let's go to a question we got a while ago. This is from Matthew Herman. How important do you think Coach Rod Brindamore's development process has been to Andrei Svechnikov's success at the back end of the season and into the playoffs rather than falling off like most rookies, or is it all just raw talent? Oh, no, I think Rod Brindamore has a lot to do with it. And again, for everybody at the beginning of the year that was clamoring for him, he needs to play with. There was a plan, and there's a big reason why Andrei Svechnikov was playing the majority of the season with Lucas Walmark as his center and Jordan Martinuk on the wing, one in the regular season. That that trio wasn't going up against the number one D pair. They weren't going up against the number one line or the checking line. It gave Andrei Svechnikov a chance to get into the National Hockey League, to get into the flow, and then you'd see him get spotted every now and again. He'd get a couple of minutes up on, on the, the top two lines, however right. you want to call it. So I think... Can I answer this with the it's, – it's both, but it Rod Brindamore really did a good job bringing Andre Svechnikov around, and he never hit that rookie wall. Had a little bit of a lull, but I never walked in going, oh, man, I don't know if Andre Svechnikov is – you know, needs some time off. You know, maybe, maybe give him a, a night off in the press box. I never felt that. I just felt that he kept going, kept going, and then when it got to the important time of the year – he was still ready to play. The way I looked at it is his his innate talent was was obvious. I mean, that's part a big part of what made him this the second overall pick. But he needed a head coach like Rod Brindamore, I think, yeah. to bring him along and broaden his skill set, teach him the value of being responsible in his own end. Because as Rod Brindamore has said this year, he's he's never had to yeah. do that. Um, when you're uh, when you can score like he did in junior that's not even a part of the game you really consider. So, I, yes, his his both were very important yeah. uh, in his success this season, but I don't think without the, the leadership and head coaching of, of Rod Brennamore, I don't think he has 
the same impact that he had down the stretch. All right, you got a question from somebody out here? Uh, yeah, sure. I, we could find one. I I might just uh, jump into what's uh, most recent. Sure. Um, John Herring, why did Mrazek ditch the black and red pads? They look amazing, especially in our third sweaters. I think he just uh, he just likes having new pillows. Wow. So to speak. Yeah, I don't think there's a specific reason. He's just one of those guys who changes a little more frequently than others. Yeah. Some guys also like the the contrasting look, you know, the the white against the black uniforms, the black pads against the white uniforms. Uh let's just keep working in reverse then. Uh this from the pill counter. Looking at the injuries from a positive perspective, are the injuries to Svechnikov and Furling Furland a blessing in disguise that will probably move up McGinn and the Canes really don't lose when Brock McGinn records a point. That is very positive of looking at it. Uh, it's very positive, but I don't. That is definite silver lining. Yeah, but I would much rather that. have Michael Ferland and Andre Svechnikov in the lineup yeah, than not. I'm going to agree with that. It, it Look, it does provide more of an opportunity for a guy like Brock McGinn, or if you look the other night, a guy like Warren Fogle. But you definitely want to have your best players on the ice, and Andrei Svechnikov is unquestionably one of the Hurricanes' best players. Right. If not the most, he, he probably possesses the most raw talent of anybody on the team. Yeah. And for the Hurricanes to be without that, that's that's a big blow. And, and Michael Furland, what does he bring to the, to the party? He's a deterrent. Guys generally don't run around and do crazy things to the Carolina Hurricanes if they know that Michael Furland is there to answer the bell when somebody rings it. Yep. So this one from Claiborne Williams. Well, do you want to use this? It's for tweet mail. Yeah, I I'm not sure when I'm gonna to get to tweet mail next. It's okay. playoffs are busy time. All right. uh, are there differences in the Canes pregame? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Get to the important part there. Well he he wished me happy birthday. He says he's enjoyed my writing for years, which is very kind on both accounts. From what I've been told, you only turn twenty one nine times. Yeah. It's basically a yearly thing at this point. <laughs> Are there differences in the Canes pregame and postgame routines during the playoffs? Postgame workouts after physically hard games? No. Um, it, not really too different. No. Uh, it's still there's still postgame workouts. Yeah. Uh, it's it's only been three games, but there's still postgame workouts. Uh, the routines are pretty much the same. Uh, we'll see about how practice goes uh, in morning skates, but those were starting to become, you know. Maybe we'll practice and there'll be no morning skate if you're Rod Brandamore. Maybe there'll be a morning skate and we won't have a practice the day before. Yeah, it's uh, about but, managing the workload. Yeah, but you know, you also don't want to do anything different. You also don't want to just change it up because it's the playoffs. You want it to try to stay as normal as possible. Yeah, and part of the reason that the Hurricanes have the system they do in place, many other teams the same way, is just to help manage injuries and, and yep. make sure you're not running into a situation where you have guys getting regularly injured. All right. You got another Regularly. One? You got it right. It's a tough. You said it right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough word regularly. to get through. <laughs> I got that one. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I didn't get last week, but regularly scheduled programming. Oh yeah. Well, I but did go. have something. Yeah. yeah that's, Let it go. Okay. Like frozen. Yeah. Somebody will, will remind us of it. You want me to ask a question here? The Florida Caniac. Oh, you can go. With now a win under this team's belt and knowing that the team will need to play perfect hockey without two of their top six forwards, how do you think head coach Rod Brindamore will shake things up? I'm thinking play favorable matchups. Rod Brindamore doesn't really like matchups. Nope. I think we've sort of learned that. He's, Players play in his mind. 
Yeah, he's he calls them out. They he, jump over the boards, and then he trusts them to do what the team is designed for them to do. He also said the other day in his press conference, coaching's overrated. Yeah, you just draw up the game plan, and then it's up to the players. And, and that's kind of true. You open the door, and the players skate out, and yeah. that's that. It's kind of true. It I mean, I, true. I think he's for, sh- he's for he sure is. underselling oh. what he brings to this team. But, I mean, in a way, he's not wrong. Coaching is coaching is. It's changed tremendously, even from the time that Rod Brindamore was a player. That's true. Uh, and the last time the Canes were in the playoffs in just a decade, it, it has changed tremendously. At the same time, though, you got to have a good coach. You got to have a guy who the message gets through to the players what they need to do. Uh, this one comes in from Dustin Buck with Svetch and Furland injured. A call up from Charlotte seems likely. So we'll get to this point. Patrick Brown is the call up for the Carolina Hurricanes, and he was skating at practice today on a line with Saku Menelenin and Greg McKegg centering it. So uh, the Canes are, are leaning on a, a veteran, a player who's played a couple of games in the National Hockey League, more than a couple, but Patrick Brown, he's got a great demeanor. Uh, this is going to be a guy who's not going to walk in and be awestruck by the moment. Uh, he knows what his role will be, but it, it does lead to maybe a different question we could ask. Because Dustin also adds, Nachos has been on fire, but with the physicality of this series, do you see them bringing up an enforcer-type player? First off, the Canes even have an enforcer-type. Like, I, I kept hearing that term an awful lot, enforcer, enforcer. Folks, those days are, are gone. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. you had the, the guy who's just a, a straight fighter or a physical player. You... And his role was not to score, but to beat up the other team. Right, just to get thrown over the boards, fight a guy, go to the box, and then... Sit back on the bench, yeah. Exactly, for the rest of the game. Your enforcers now are guys like Michael Furlan, Tom Wilson. Right. Uh, Guys Guys who who can also put the puck in the net. Patrick Hornquist for Pittsburgh. Guys who have a skill set to go along with that nasty streak with them. You know, the Canes have Jordan Martinuk has that a bit. Brock McGinn has that a little bit. I know that uh, Julian Gauthier has the size. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know so much about the nasty streak that he has. But he's got the size where he could go out there. But this is also the playoffs. I don't think you just want to throw somebody in that situation who might not have seen it coming. Well, and the the other thing is, too, when you talk about a guy like Martin Natchez or Julian Gauthier, you have to remember these guys are projected to be not in the position that Patrick Brown is currently. Patrick Brown today was on a line with Greg McKegg and Saku Menelainen. Where did my accent go there? Saku Menelainen. Uh, that's Every now and again that Kernersville comes out. <laughs> right. A little twang there. Um, Julian Gauthier and Martin Natchez don't fit in that spot. This is a line that isn't going to play a ton of minutes. But what Patrick Brown can provide is just a solid, smart two-way game. He's not, there's not gonna when he's on the ice, he's not gonna completely break down and allow something bad to happen. He's gonna be responsible. That line's gonna be responsible. The line's not gonna play a whole heck of a lot. It's gonna be very specifically used. Yep. And and that just doesn't fit the type of game that Julian Gauthier or Martin Natchez or one of these more skilled guys plays. Uh, that's not what they project out to be. You know, when Martin Natchez is ready to 
to jump to the NHL game, he's going to be relied upon as a, a scorer in the top six or the top nine. Uh, so that's why the Hurricanes went with a guy like Patrick Brown. They could have also gone with a guy like Clark Bishop, who I actually think is might be injured right now currently for the Charlotte Checkers. But, um, yeah, Patrick Brown's going to step in. Saku Lennon is probably going to step in as well with Michael Furland uh, a ways away, as Brenda Moore yep. said today. Uh, so a couple new bodies in the lineup. And as Rod Brindamore said the other night, playing with 10 forwards was actually kind of easy because you just told them they were playing and sent them over the boards and yep. away they went. There yep. were no choices to be made. Yeah. It was just he had the 10 guys and he had to use them all. Like you said, I had no choice. Uh, this comes in from Michael Butler. Which Canes player has made the biggest impact so far in this series? From either which team? Canes, which Canes player? Oh, which Canes player? Um Huh. Uh, Dougie Hamilton? Dougie Hamilton's been pretty solid. I would have said Andrei Svechnikov. Yeah, that's, he was he was yeah. on that path. And I, I you know what? I'll still stay with it. He's had an impact on this series. Every yeah. game there's been something that he has been involved in. It's sad that uh, for the moment it appears that his playoff series has been cut short. If I had to pick with a second guy, you know, Lucas Walmark has, mm-hmm. you know, like he has done all year quietly. Uh, made a mark. Warren Fogle was incredible in game number three here, but I'm going to side with you. I'll go with Dougie Hamilton. I think it was him. Yeah. He's really, really stepped up his game yep. in the second half of the season. Something he's done, you know, in prior seasons, but this season it all, it also helped yep. that the injury you know, on his hand cleared up and yeah. obviously wasn't bothering him anymore. Also, we have a combination like it, take it from uh, Michael and Sam for Kane's 20. Uh, Michael Butler wanted to know, is the series over in six, uh, whether the Canes win it or the Caps? And Sam for Canes says, if you like it, take it. Uh, the Canes run the table winning games four, five, and six. I would love to take that, but well, I will be sending it back. If my prediction is correct, that the series would be over in six games if the Hurricanes are going to win, then yes, they have to run the table. There you go. Next question. Next question. Uh, we'll go to this one from Cameron, the playoff win hopeful fish. Oh, yes. Bass, 8151. I'm going to say Bass and not Bass since he's fish. Yeah, it works for me. Not sure about the Canes. Or, no, he says not about the Canes. Not I don't know where the, I put yeah, the sure from. What are you doing there? Not about the Canes, but I was curious what it takes to get into the industry of sports media and broadcasting. Well, clearly you have to read better than me. Something just recently clicked, making me think about looking into this. I just wanted to ask how the two of you got in and what it takes to pursue it. That's a great question. I hurt my knee. <laughs> Because you were a student athlete. No, I was not. But uh, I went you to a Division three school. I was thinking about playing football again. I hurt my knee, and that was the end of it. And I was never issued a uniform. So You were uh, still, at one point, a student and an athlete. Well, no, they never – well, in high school, yes, but it did not cross over. And I walked into the – Student-run radio station. I, I I knew I was going to be – I wasn't going to be a pro football player or a baseball player as much as I, I would have loved to. Uh, I walked into the student radio station because my honest-to-God thought, this podcast is, how am I going to meet girls now? <laughs> um, so uh, that was – that's how my career got started. And uh, I just took journalism courses and broadcasting courses and then got internships, and here I am. You also have to like – not seeing your family on holidays. You have to like having a low-paid job 
You have to like uh, a lot of stuff to get there. I also like to do that to run people off from my job. Because <laughs> there's enough competition, competition as it is. Yeah. Well, that's, so. the, that's the thing. Sports, the sports industry. How did you get into it? The sports industry is incredibly, incredibly competitive. Because I mean, obviously you have a lot of people who are sports fans. And you have a lot of people who want to work in sports. Uh, I went to school at UNC. Go Heels. And I knew it, <laughs> John Swafford. <laughs> and uh, I en- for those of you who are just hockey fans and have no idea what that is, I apologize. <laughs> I interned with the Hurricanes in uh, my senior year of college, which was the ten eleven season, All Star year. Didn't end too well. I think we've discussed that on the podcast here. Got to see the All Star game come to Raleigh. That was a lot of fun. Uh, being involved with that. Uh, and then I got a full-time job here with the Hurricanes in September of 2011 after graduating from UNC. I went to the School of Journalism, which I believe is now the School of Journalism and Mass Media or Media and Journalism. I, it's changed a bit with the, the rise of digital media, which is interesting because I was in school right as social media was, was really growing. And so now to see really coursework structured around that, uh, is a, a lot different from, from when I was in school just, just eight years ago. But if you're interested in getting into the sports industry, it is very important uh, that you intern in the yes. sports industry. intern. In intern everywhere. Everywhere and doing anything because you make yourself uh, versatile. Yep. Diversify your skill set in, in doing a bunch of different things if you can. And protect your night. Yes. You're welcome. And you meet people and that that's really the most important thing because it's such a competitive industry. You have to know people, you have to make connections, you have to have, uh, that person that you can reach out to when there's a job that you see that you want, you have to have that person that you can reach out to and say, Hey, I think I'm a good candidate for this or have someone who can reach out on your behalf because otherwise you're just another resume in a stack of literally hundreds and it's tough it's tough to make your, yourself stand out on a sheet of paper. Yep. So you almost have to have that, that in of uh, having worked with somebody before, or having someone be able to make a recommendation. So it's important to gain yep. experience through internships and network. And those, those are the two most important things. You also have to have a passion for it. Because if you don't, yes. if you just kind of like it, and look, it's also a cruel business. It because is. Because there are people, I worked and went to school with, Michael, I can't tell you how many people who had better voices than me, better looks than me, um, but you know, just didn't care about the the sport. Uh, then on the other side, and it, you get kind of ticked off because those people get gigs here and there. But then there are the people who love it, know everything about it, can quote you everything about it. But if you don't have the sound, hopefully I'm the uh, poster boy for the. If you don't have the look, there's still hope. <laughs> but. You know, if you don't have the sound, like especially if you're going in for radio or things like that, they'll listen in five seconds. They'll make a decision on you. But yeah. it's a tough industry. But if, if you want to get into it, Michael said it best, intern, intern, intern. Yeah. And it really started in, in college for both of us. And, All pra- right. and practice makes perfect, too. Like if you want to be a writer, you need to write and continually yeah. write, continually read. And if you want to be in broadcasting, you have to hone that craft. It, it, it's all about improving yourself. Just like the players practicing every day, improving their craft, yep. it's all about improving your craft and, and putting yourself in a good position to succeed. All right. Wendy, 
who uh, we can find her at, I read right sale. What's the fewest shots on goal in a game against the Canes this season and postseason? Well, postseason is the one they just yeah. went through. Because mm-hmm. uh, last night felt pretty low. And by low, I mean freaking awesome. Uh, I don't have the lowest for this season, but uh, actually I do have the lowest for this season. The fewest shots allowed, 19. They did it three times. The most recent was against the Anaheim Ducks on December 10th. So there you go. The fewest shots on goal they've ever allowed is 10. So that there would you be go. impressive. Yep. When was that? Uh, let's see. It's uh, happened twice. Most recent. That would be in April of 2007 against the Washington Capitals. Oh. Shocking. Go figure. So there you go. Uh, that's it. So now you know. Good and good. Thank you, Wendy. Good question. Uh, this from Jerry Winchester. I keep seeing on social media platforms that Dougie Hamilton isn't a locker room guy. He seems to be getting along with everyone. What's your take on his relationship with his teammates? I think he gets along great with his teammates. This is one of these stories that pops up in a city like Boston, then follows to a hockey crazy town like Calgary, and it just becomes out of control. Uh, Dougie had to answer this in Calgary where he says the players in the locker room know the story, and that's really all that matters to him. Uh, But this is one of these things where somebody wrote something somewhere, and that's all it takes now because you want to talk about journalism again? You used to have to back up these things. Now you just say it, and it's out there, and somebody's got to live with it for the rest of their life. You can just tweet it, and in an instant it spreads, and then that's what people remember and go back to every time. Yeah, exactly. But if people – whatever, I'm not going to get on that soapbox because – I'm just not. That being said, Michael, he fits in great with these these players. I think it took him a, a while to adjust to Raleigh into the new team, into the role, but he's adjusted. Uh, he gets along fine with his teammates. His teammates really enjoy being around him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think he's he's got a great personality, um, at least in my interactions with him. Got a little bit of the sneaky sense of humor, I think. Got a really he might not be as comfortable as maybe some other players talking in front of the camera, but and maybe that's perceived in a different market as oh he's you know you know maybe they look down on him look, because of that. I think, but but I think his uh, and I hate to I hate doing this. We're not psychiatrists or psychologists, no. but I, I just think that there's his personality is is unique, and in the hockey world. People are like, you have to be right. this and that, and he's not. Right. He's not that guy. He's he's a genuine person. He cares about his teammates, uh, and that was very evident after Game Three when he kept saying, "All I could think about on the bench is, is how's Andrei Sveshnikov doing?" Because yeah. he and Andrei Sveshnikov have become best of friends off of the ice. So, again, bless you on your twenty first you. birthday. So that's all set. No, he fits in perfect. Uh, this from uh, Cody Gagne. Before every game John Forslund calls, he tweets a pic of his prep notebook. Just curious how many he's used over the years and if he saves them. I haven't gotten the opportunity to ask him because he is doing a game every <laughs> single day. He's finally not doing one tonight, correct? Yes. On Wednesday, he finally gets he a, gets night, a off. night off. So he'll be ready for Thursday. Uh, but yes, he. Uh, I would say how many has he used over the years. I would put that count probably somewhere in the at least near 100. You'd have to think. Yeah, I, the, the the prep work that I don't know he how many books in. he goes through a year though, because now that he does national, I don't know. So it's something that we'll get to a little bit later, Cody. But yeah, it's out there. Uh, Want to do two more? Sure. All right, two more. Uh, Ian Brady. 
Rod Brindamore continues to chirp at the refs when the Caps use the pick play. Usually it's just straight interference. Is there any explanation from the refs on the continuous no calls? Because the Caps are really good at getting away with it. Yeah, but I, the Canes we, also get away with it too, right? And so does Toronto and Boston, and, and so did every Columbus other team and so did, in yeah, the everybody National does Hockey it. League. It's it's something we discussed in the press box in Game Two because yep. that's there was a goal that was scored off a of pick play, and it's it's almost it is yes by the letter of the law, I I do believe it's interference, but it's almost so subtle that you know, when Backstrom. Uh, set that pick on, on Jacob Slavin and sort of opened up the ice for Ovechkin there to find Wilson. It was almost so subtle, and he didn't really engage Slavin. He sh- he sort of just coasted and then slowed down a bit. He didn't engage Slavin. He didn't uh, push him over. Uh, there was no real physical contact. It was more of just, I'm going to yep. stand here on this ice and prevent you from being able to get to the puck and yeah. and and yes i i guess technically that is interference. Uh, the, the letter of the law it's interference but it's also one of those subtle things where you know you see it in football all the time with receivers and right. i hate to i hate to use another game analogy but unless it's blatant contact if it's like just a subtle kind of you know they call it a rub play that's the if it's a, a subtle rub play that keeps the player from you know taking away time and space they're, they're not going to call it because it does move so fast yeah. It really does. I, I, the only way they're going to call that, I think, is if Backstrom just skates as hard as he can right into, into Slavin Jacob and Slavin, bowls yeah. him over. Yeah. Instead, he just sort of slowed up, bided his time. Ovechkin knew exactly what Backstrom was doing, yep. and that's because those two have played together for so long and was able to take advantage of it and make it look like maybe not so yeah. much of a penalty. But uh, that's why. And uh, last question, I'm going to paraphrase it. It's from Aiden Calhoun. Do you think that the momentum – and type of energy will carry forward from game three into game four. In a sense. Um, I mean, I do. The, the series isn't going to get any less physical, I don't think. The, the more these two teams play each other, I think it's only going to create that much more animosity between yeah. the two. Uh, you know, as for how much momentum the Hurricanes get from winning 5 uh, five nothing, I think it kind of depends on the first 10 minutes of the game. Can they take advantage of, of that and, and spark something else? Do the Capitals push back? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much of that is going to carry over. And there was so much emotionally involved in that game, too, that it, that is a comma, T-O-O, yeah. not... I've got you. Yeah. Yes. There was so much emotion involved in that game that it's going to be tough to really replicate. Uh, but the Hurricanes can certainly replicate the way they played and the way they executed their game plan. That is something you can definitely take from game three to game four. All right. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Canes Cast. We've got more to get into, but programming note, game six will be in Raleigh on Monday, April 22nd. So Michael Smith and I Hopefully. will... Michael Smith and I, game six, will be in Raleigh on Monday, April 22nd. Okay. Just so you hear that. Yes. Uh, Michael Smith and I will have the next edition of the Canes cast, we promise, because nobody's turning 21 years old, on April 23rd. Yeah. Good? It'll either be... Ooh, it, may, it might be a big one. Oh, it'll be previewing Game 7. Yeah. Or a Canes series win. Yeah. It could be It could be a big one. could be a big, very big Canes cast yeah. for 86. Big. Vitevo Teravainen. <laughs>
of mm. Kane's casts. Interesting. Yes. So, for the webs, Michael Smith, and he is a gem. I jumped in there too early. Uh, <laughs> TV's Mike Maniscalco, oh. also a gem. No, not at all. And sometimes the radios. Oh, thank you. And sometimes uh, social medias. And same with you. You're all that's, of those things. We're all true. things to sometimes all Sometimes the video boards. It goes back to the question. You also have to be, as Michael Smith said, versatile. versatile. Hmm. Is that the title uh, of the podcast? I, it could be. Maybe so. Maybe. That'll do it for us. We'll talk to you next week for sure. See you later. Thank you.